Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Father, we thank you for, Lord, another opportunity to sing praises to your name. We thank you for an opportunity to open the text of Scripture to learn from your word. We pray to be glorified, Lord, by the things that we say and, and by the thoughts that we have. Father, we pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would take what we learned today, apply it to our lives, be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you would just keep us free from distraction to focus on who you are, to focus on your word, Lord, to speak very clearly to us so we can see you, Lord, in all your majesty. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, for those of you that may not know, our Guatemalan mission team returned last Sunday night late. There were 32 of us that went to Guatemala. We returned late last Sunday night to what felt like a hero's welcome. There were lots of people here. We were really surprised at 11 o'clock at night to welcome us and to just hug our necks. And so thank you all that were prayerful for us, that followed our blog, that sent us, that, that helped us get to San Juan Moca, which is a very remote village in Guatemala. Several of you have asked, you know, where it is on a map. Well, it's not on a map. And those of you who went with us understand why. It's a very difficult journey to get into the village, uh, very remote, rocky. But we had an incredible week. We saw God do some really incredible things. And uh, this is the third time I've been. And every time I come back, I'm reminded of how incredibly blessed we are in America. We have more, I think, than any of us really fully understand. I'll tell you a story just to kind of clue you in a little bit of, of what life was like down there. We worked at a couple of different houses, building houses for these people. They live in bamboo shacks, and they have tin roofs, and the bamboo has holes, and you can see the outside dirt floors. Uh, beds down there are two or three pieces of wood together and a blanket on top of it. There's no mattress. And so we worked at a couple of different houses to build houses for these families. But the rule is we don't just give you a house. You've got to work for the house. And so what usually happens is the husband and usually some of the sons um, carry things. They do a lot of manual labor. And so what, what this dad would do is he would fill up a sack full of sand. I mean a big sack full of sand. In fact, we tried to move one of those sacks one day. I could barely budge the sack. I'm serious. They put these sacks on their back. They put a rope around the bottom of them. They, they run the rope up around their shoulders and around their forehead. They put a piece of leather under that rope and they carry a 100-pound bag of sand up from the river hour after hour after hour. And that's what they use to make the mortar for the block. So we're working at this house one day and the father is working and he cut his finger. It wasn't a bad cut. It didn't need stitches by any means, but it was bleeding. And so he speaks a Mayan language that, of course, none of us spoke. Not even Spanish now. It's a third language, a totally different dialect, different language. And so we can't speak to him, but so I'm asking our team, do we have a Band-Aid? Do we have a Band-Aid? And we, we kind of round up a Band-Aid, and I hand the Band-Aid to this guy. And for the next five or six seconds, I watched him, and it occurred to me at some point in the process, he didn't know what a Band-Aid was. So I hand him this Band-Aid, right, and he, he, he gets the Band-Aid, and he looks at the Band-Aid, and he looks at me. And I look at the Band-Aid, and I look at him. And in this process of kind of sitting there looking at this guy, it occurs to me he's never seen a Band-Aid before. And so I did what we all learned to do so well. You point real loudly, you know, like this. And I kind of give him the international symbol for Band-Aid. 
And I'm trying, I'm trying to show him what, what to do with a Band-Aid. And so he's, he's looking at me, and I know in his mind, he's saying, this guy is an idiot. Okay, whatever. Uh, so he, but he takes the, he, he watches what I'm doing, and he takes the Band-Aid now, still in the wrapper, and he tries to put it on his finger. The whole Band-Aid. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, and I have to show him to, to peel it. And then, and then once you take it out of the wrapper, there's still some more peeling to be done, right? And then you have to stick it and wrap it. Now, what our two-year-old kids understand, that this man had never, he couldn't comprehend and it amazes me. I mean, we, we, we sit there and we, 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 we kind of live with these people for a week in this jungle in the context of where they live. And it amazes me how they have so little and yet they just seem to find joy. It's just really interesting to me kind of seeing them and, and seeing how they work. But we were, we were able to do some really neat things down there. We were able to build some houses for these people. We did some medical mission clinics where people would come in from the surrounding. There are no doctors in that village. A doctor comes around about every three months we learned. There's a doctor that will come once every three months. So for the other 12 weeks or so, if you get sick, too bad, right? So we did a medical clinic. We saw over 100 people come through the medical clinic and get medicine that would help them. One of the neatest things we got to do was go into the schools. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in my sermon. But when we went the first time, we met with the director of the school. And he said, when you come back in April, which is the last trip we just made, he said, I want you to come to our school every day. This is a public school now. This is not a Christian school or, or some religious school down there. He said, I want you to come to our school every day and you can share Christ with these kids. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every morning we were there. We went into the school, 450 or so kids. We got to go into every classroom and for two hours we got to proclaim Christ to these kids. God did some really neat things in our hearts. And God did some really neat things in in the hearts of our people. And so I want to challenge you. This is really just the beginning for us. We've done a lot of neat things already, and, and we've, we've seen God work in a lot of powerful ways, but this is the beginning for us. I want you to understand that. We're going to continue to ramp this missions effort up over the next many years, and we've already got plans to go just this summer. I just mentioned Carpenters for Christ in Kentucky. Our students are going to go to South Carolina for a missions camp. We're going to go to Zambia. We're going to go to Alaska. We're going to go to Romania. We're going to go to Mexico. We're going to continue to add missions trips to our plate because we want to take the gospel to the nations. And so I want you to be in prayer for that. I want you to be in prayer for what God's doing in our church, for what God's doing in your heart. I want you to find a place because the Bible, I believe, is very clear when it comes to mission work and it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got two choices. You can either go or you can send. You can't sit on the sidelines and watch. So I want you to pray about what your role will be, whether it's to go, whether it's to send through prayer or through finances or whatever that looks like for you. I want you to pray about your role because God's doing some incredible things and he's going to continue to do incredible things if we'll seek him and serve him in all things. But our text this morning is, is going to give us a real clear indication that, it, that even in the midst of, of what God's doing, I, I love where this happened to, to kind of play out in our sermon series. Even in the midst of all that God is doing and all God has accomplished, there's danger that surrounds us at every turn. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. This is week 5 of our Authentic Faith Sermon Series. In this series, we've been walking verse by verse through the book of 1 John, and we've been examining what we're calling authentic faith. Because we learn as we study the Scriptures that if you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, then your life should reflect that. You should bear fruit. That's what Christ says. And so we've seen John challenge us week after week after week about what our walk looks like. And is there evidence of a changed life? 
And John has told us on a lot of different levels over and over and over in the first two chapters that we can't claim to be a Christian and live our life opposed to his teachings. And so we've asked over and over and over again, do we have authentic faith? And so we delve this morning into our passage of Scripture, 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. John begins, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now there's several truths as we work through this passage of Scripture and the verses that follow over the next little while this morning. There's several truths we want to pull from this passage of Scripture we need to understand in our current context today. But here's the first point I want to make, and I want to elaborate on this for the next few minutes. The first point John wants us to see very clearly as believers. Number one, we are under attack. We are under attack. Now I want to flesh this out just a little bit based on what we just studied in this passage of Scripture in verses 18 and 19. But John begins with this interesting little phrase about little children. He's done this already at the beginning of chapter 2. And it demonstrates to us John's love for the people. It demonstrates his love for the believers. It demonstrates his desire for them to know Christ more and his compassion and his love for this group. But after he refers to them as little children, he uses this very interesting phrase. He says, dear children, this is the last hour. That's interesting because it seems like all through history, people have referred to the time that they live in as the last hour, haven't they? We're in the end times. We're in the last moments. And it seems like as we study the world around us now and current events and especially events in international places, it seems like, at least from our perspective, we're in the last few moments of the last few hours, doesn't it? Now John has in mind here, of course, Christ's return. The people of the first century understood that after Jesus was born and lived a sinless life and walked to Calvary and was crucified and died and rose again and ascended into heaven, they understand after that point that at some point in the future, Christ was going to return. And so for a lot of these first century believers, they hoped that his return would be very soon. In fact, some of them believe it would be within the next few days or the next few months or even the next few years. But John says you need to understand something. As we think through Christ returning again... As we think through who Christ is going to be in the future, we need to understand that we're living in the last days because here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, when I I come to earth, when I live on this earth and I die and ascend into heaven, I have inaugurated my kingdom. In other words, that's the first process in me forming a kingdom. Now the last process will be when Christ returns and rules over all the earth. We understand that. And so what we see is that between the time Christ ascended into heaven and the time that Christ returns are the last days. We're in the last portion of time. And so we see this in the teachings of Jesus as he walks around. We see in Mark 1, chapter 15, this is Jesus. The time has come, he said, now listen to his words, the kingdom of God has come near, right? Repent and believe the good news. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. In fact, if you were to read through the Gospels, you would see over a hundred times the kingdom of God is referred to. And so scholars use this very interesting little phrase. They, use the, they say that the kingdom is the already but the not yet. 
The kingdom has begun when Christ first came, but it's not yet completed until his return. And so by those definitions and by the definition that Christ himself gave us, this is the last hour. John says you need to understand something very clear. You're never guaranteed tomorrow. You're living in the last days. Christ's return is imminent. You don't know how long you're going to live, John says. You need to redeem the time. We've probably all at this point, unfortunately, heard of the, the tragic events of this weekend with a young man from LaGrange High School that was killed in a car accident early Saturday morning. That's a tragic event, and our, our hearts go out for that family, and we pray for peace, and we pray for grace for them. We pray God would just surround them with his love and would be able to minister to them in ways that we can't even necessarily understand. But I can assure you of one thing. That family didn't go to bed Friday night thinking they were going to lose their son early Saturday morning. See, they didn't, they didn't think that his life would be taken from him in the manner in which it was taken. But see, we're warned over and over and over in Scripture that our time is not guaranteed, right? We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. John reminds us that we are in the last hour. But I want you to notice what he does. He's going to kind of ratchet up the pressure a little bit here in verse 18. He says, dear children, this is the last hour. But listen to the next thing he says. This is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. You see that? John says, not only is it the last hour, right? Not only are we in times, and again, we don't know when that's going to happen. Not only are we in the end times, but the Antichrist is coming. Now, we hear the word Antichrist, we think of end times, only somewhere in the future. We think of the beast out of the sea in Revelation chapter 12 and 13. We think about the prophecies of Daniel and Ezekiel in the Old Testament. And we understand that one day there will be an Antichrist that will rise and will battle against the people of God and against Christ. And if you remember our study from last fall, we called it the great story. It was a picture of the Messiah in the Old Testament. It was a picture of who Christ was all through the teachings of the Old Testament. And we began in Genesis chapter 3, and you may remember the story. Adam and Eve have sinned. God came into the garden and he was punishing Satan. And we read in Genesis chapter 3, 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. Now watch, this This is what God says. He, speaking of Christ, will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So we understand that the war began in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. But here's the beautiful picture about Scripture as we read through and study and understand. Christ has already won the war, but there's still some fighting that will take place. I'm reminded of the stories in World War I and World War II and the armistice would be signed. But people out in the Pacific or out in the jungle didn't get word that the war was over. And so they would still fight. And there would be people that would be killed in battles after the peace agreement had been signed. See, John says that there's a time coming when the Antichrist will be here. And there's a war that will rage. And there's a final battle that will take place. But here's what he does. It's interesting at the end of verse 18. Dear children, he says... This is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, listen to this. Even now, he says, many Antichrists have come. You see, he's kind of ratcheting up the pressure here. They're, they're in times, we're in the end times, we're in the last hour. One day the Antichrist will come, and not only will the Antichrist come one day, but even now, he says, many Antichrists have come. Now, John understands the word Antichrist as anybody that opposes the things of God. Anybody that opposes the things of Christ. And John wants us to understand in that context and in our context now that one day there will be an ultimate antichrist. One day there will be a great battle. And we could study that in the book of Revelation. But here's the truth we need to know right now in our current context. 
There are people even today that oppose Christians. You understand that? There are people even today that oppose Christianity. There are people today that would have the church defeated and destroyed. And John says, we need to be aware. We are under attack. One scholar says it kind of like this. A distinction was made between the great Antichrist figure who will appear near the very end and the lesser Antichrist figures whose influence is already being felt. Now these Antichrists that we study and we, we, we see in John, 1 John chapter 2 are people that will deceive and they are people that will destroy. And John's told us and will tell us later, he says in verse 26, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. John gives us this, this clear picture and this clear reminder in the early portion of these verses that as believers we need to understand that we're at war and that we're under attack and that there are people that will try to destroy us and try to harm us and try to, try to take the things that God has given away from us. It's amazing to me as we think through what God's doing in our church and, and what God's doing in mission work and how God has already worked in the hearts of so many people. We're going to see, I'm going I'm to just kind of give you a truth here you need to hold on to. The more that God does in our midst and the more that God does through mission work, the more the devil's going to attack us. And the more we're going to have to battle against him. And the more we're going to have to recognize that even though we live in a world where we want to serve Christ, there are forces that oppose us. And so we've already seen this kind of in our, in our mission work and the things that we're doing here at Rosemont. It's interesting to me as we go on the mission field, all the different things we have to battle. So we go to a third world country and again, you, you can't drink the water and the, and the food is kind of suspect and you, you, you be as careful as you can. But it's interesting to me when we go, the people on our teams that get sick and they give a week of their life to go share Christ and they're so sick they can't leave their hotel room. That's a battle they face. I think about all the people that have kind of prayed about going and have kind of maybe sensed the call to go, but there's a, there's a battle they deal with with fear. There's a battle they deal with finances. There's a battle they deal with vacation. I'm just not sure I can get time off. I'm just not sure I can afford it. I'm just not sure I'm going to be able to go, but it's very interesting to me. I've never met a person. I've never met a single person who said, I've really prayed about going and I sense God calling and I asked God to lead me and take me, but I just in the end couldn't afford to go. What I hear instead are people that say things like this. Listen, I felt God leading me to go. I felt God calling me to go and I prayed about it and I asked God to guide and direct me and God just provided the funds for me to go. He provided the time off for me to go. He made it available so I could go and, and do his work. But here's what we need to understand. As we continue to do things for Christ, as we continue to bring Christ's glory, the devil is going to attack us and the devil is going to battle us and the devil is going to try to stop us from doing the things that would bring Christ honor and glory. And John says you need to be aware of that. You need to be aware of the problem that we face. You need to be in a battle that we are up against. You need to be aware of what the devil is going to try to do. And you need to be prepared for it. Ephesians chapter 6 says this. You're, you'll be familiar with this passage of scripture. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, Paul understands very clearly that we are under, under attack, but here's the danger of the Christian faith. We recognize the world that we live in, and we recognize that there are attacks, and we recognize that things don't seem to be going the way we want them to go, and we shriek back in fear, don't we? Oh, what are we ever going to do as believers, right? What are we going to do? 
How are we going to see this through? I mean, it seems like we're being defeated and we're being attacked. And we, we, we fall into this pattern of fear and concern that maybe God's not going to do what he said he's going to do. But John reminds us down in verse 20 as we move on. Even though we are under attack, look what he says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. He says, but you, speaking to these peoples, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So here's the point that John makes. Here's the the truth and the hope that we hold to. Even in the midst of the battles that we face, even in the midst of our attacks, we find victory through Christ. John says you need to understand you're surrounded by Antichrist. You're surrounded by people that oppose Jesus. You're surrounded by people that don't want you to succeed and don't want God to receive the glory. But even in the middle of all that, John says, even in the midst of the world that we live in, you can find victory through Christ. And now John's going to give us three very clear reasons here. He's going to give us very... Three clear reasons that we have victory. He's going to show us that we have victory through the Holy Spirit. That we have victory because of the truth. And we have victory because of who Jesus Christ is in our lives. But the first point he makes here in verse 20. John says that you have an anointing from the Holy One or from, from the Holy Spirit. John says because of who the Holy Spirit is in your life. Because as believers you are anointed and the Holy Spirit lives in you and lives through you. You have power. Some of you are familiar with Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it's, it's a verse that I've said to a lot of people in the last year and I've prayed it and I've, I've taught through it. But Acts 1 8 says this, speaking to believers, Jesus as he ascended into heaven told his followers this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's very fascinating to me if you study through the book of Acts how the Holy Spirit fueled the early century church. I mean, the early century church grew simply because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of believers. And unfortunately, in, in Baptist circles, we've kind of taken the Holy Spirit, we've kind of unfortunately set him aside a little bit because I think we're afraid. <laughs> Maybe we don't fully understand, or we don't fully uh, get kind of what's going on. And we love Jesus, and we'll talk all about Jesus. And we love the, the Father, we'll talk all about the Father. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, we're not quite sure. And we're not quite sure what the Holy Spirit does, but here's the truth we need to understand. The the Holy Spirit is fully God. And the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, and the Holy Spirit works in our lives, and the Holy Spirit will do incredible things through us, and the Holy Spirit will grow our church, and the Holy Spirit will give us the courage and the strength to witness when we ourselves don't think we can do it. Here's the neatest part about the Holy Spirit to me, though. We can can study about the Holy Spirit in in the Scriptures. We can study about the Holy Spirit in, in the book of Acts and in the early church. But we're not limited to seeing the power of the Holy Spirit simply at work in the passages of the Bible. Because we can see the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. We can see how God will direct us and use us through the power of the Holy Spirit day after day after day. We went to Guatemala with with a group of people. And if we were just very honest about it, some of those people were fearful. Some of them went and weren't quite sure about why God had called them initially in the process. They weren't sure they were going to be able to go. They didn't know how they were going to afford it. They didn't know how they were going to work it out with vacation. And so they went trusting the Lord, believing that God was going to do incredible things through them. It was neat to see how the Holy Spirit worked and how the Holy Spirit moved in incredible ways while we were in Guatemala. 
One of the neatest things to me, and I told this a few minutes ago, was how God allowed us to get into that local school. And we went to that leader of that school, that principal, when we went in February, and we said, you know, we said, when we come back, we'd love to talk to you about getting into your school and, and maybe about teaching your kids a little bit about Christ. And that man who turns out was a believer said to us, you know what, when you come back in April, I want you to come to my school every day. I want you to come to my school every day and I want your people to come into our classrooms and I want you to teach Christ to our children. So every morning we were there, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we got to go into these classrooms. 450 students we got to share Christ with Every single day we got to do crafts and activities and play games with these kids. And I want you to understand something very clearly. We didn't get into that school because our words were eloquent. We didn't get into that school because we said something to convince that director. We didn't get into that school because we bribed him or offered him some sort of gift. We got into that school for one very simple reason. The Holy Spirit had gone ahead of us and prepared the heart of that man before we ever arrived. So when we showed up, it was as simple as asking the question and the Holy Spirit opened the door. You should speak to some of our team members about all the Holy Spirit did in their hearts and in their minds and, and, and how God worked in, in mighty and powerful ways. You should talk to Perry Prather. I don't think he's in here this hour. He and Bryce. You should talk to them about their experience. I, I, I can't even tell the story. I'm not going to try to. But you should ask them about walking through the jungle, going into a hut. They didn't plan to go in. Having a bag with them they didn't plan on having. Being in a part of the jungle they didn't even know they were going to be in. But as they're walking through the jungle, they literally sense the Holy Spirit asking them to go into this hut. And so they followed and, and what ensued was an incredible time of the Lord. Perry got to minister to this lady in ways we can never even understand through his testimony. But God put him in that time and in that place, not because Perry came up with some scheme, not because we had some plan to get him that hut, simply because the Holy Spirit had gone ahead of us and prepared the way. You should talk to, to Philip McClung or Tracy War about walking through the jungle and being stopped by a man asking them to pray for his house. <laughs> They're just kind of minding their own business, right, walking through the jungle. It's, it's funny because as we walk through the jungle, we would see these people come out and just kind of look at us. All these kids would come out and look at us. Some of our students were like, you know, why are they, why are they looking at us? I said, well... This is probably the only time in their life they're going to see 20 white people walking through their backyard they've never seen before. I said, imagine if you woke up tomorrow morning and 20 African tribesmen were walking through your backyard waving at you. Well, you'd get the camera, wouldn't you, right? Let's take some pictures. And so we're, we're just, it's the neatest thing. You walk through the jungle and you're, you're, you know, you're sharing and you're seeing and you're waving. But they, they come to this, this house and this guy comes out and says, I need you to pray for me. Not because anything they'd done, because the Holy Spirit wanted them in that place. Viola Oropesa, who's a 15-year-old girl on our team, speaks Spanish fluently, and her mother Miriam and her brother Hiram, I don't know if they're in here or not in the back, any of them may be back here. They speak Spanish fluently, and so when they, they would walk into that setting with those kids in that school, they would just, it, was just, it was amazing <laughs> speaking Spanish. And these kids, they just, they just had their attention immediately. And so they finished teaching one day and sharing and doing all the things they did. And they think that their time is over. And Violet's about to leave. She's 15. She's about to leave. And a little girl comes up to her and says, can you tell me more about Jesus? That wasn't because her words were eloquent. That wasn't because we had some plan devised to get her in the room and get the kids in the room. And that wasn't because we bribed these kids. That was because the Holy Spirit was working in that place. You understand that? The Holy Spirit was moving in the hearts of those people. But here's the thing that we miss as believers 
We get so caught up in what we're doing. We get so caught up in our world. We get so caught up in the business at hand. Again, those things are important. We get so caught up in those things that we ignore the movement of the Holy Spirit. One of the things our team said over and over this week, and they said it the first we were down there, is that maybe for the first time in some of our lives, we've just set aside the world to focus on God. And when you set aside the world and focus on God, He's going to do incredible things. It wasn't as if that's the only time he wants to do miracles is when you're on mission. It's just sometimes that we get so caught up in the things of the world, we just don't listen to what he has to say. And sometimes it takes us getting out of our comfort zone and going to another country to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. John says, we're under attack, but you can have victory because of the Holy Spirit. Look at what he does in the second part of verse 20. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know the truth. John says it's not just about having the Holy Spirit, it's also about having the truth. You know, the greatest antidote against falsehood is truth. Did you know that? And we live in a world that tries to convince us that we don't have the truth, don't we? We live in a world that convinces us that as believers, we don't really have it figured out. The Bible's a good book, yeah, and it was written a long time ago. And there's some good stories. It's good literature, and you can learn some moral examples, but there's no real truth in the Bible. That's kind of what the world tells us, and we've kind of fallen into this idea of cultural relativism, where if it's okay for you, that's fine. If it's okay for me, if it makes you happy, you should do it. If it makes you, it's fine. Everybody kind of do their own thing. Everybody will be happy, and we've kind of bought into this lie that there's no absolute truth, right? It's interesting because the people that claim there's no absolute truth live their lives as if there is absolute truth, right? Because the moment you steal something from them, they're going to be angry about that. If there's no absolute truth, it should be okay for me to steal from you, right? If everything's relative. Or the first time you lie to them, they're angry that you lied to them, right? Or the first time you treat them harshly, if there's no absolute truth, there's no right and wrong, I should be able to treat you the way I want to treat you. See, people can act like there's no absolute truth, but they live their lives as if there is But see, we we live in a world now that tries to convince us that there is no truth. John says, you need to stand up to that argument. That's a lie because there is truth. I love what Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 18 says. It kind of hammers this idea of no absolute truth because here's the bottom line of absolute truth. It's not really about whether or not there's truth or not. It's about people wanting to be able to do whatever they want to do without consequences. That's, That's the real rub here. People want to live their lives any way they want to live their lives without authority and without consequence. And so it's very easy for them to say there's no absolute truth because if there's no absolute truth, I can live my life any way I want to live it. And you can't tell me that I'm doing anything wrong, neither can the Bible. But Romans 1.18 says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who, watch this, suppress the truth by their wickedness. You understand that? They're, they're suppressing the truth. Let's just keep the truth down back here. Let's not worry about the truth. Let's sweep the truth under the rug, right? Let's kind of keep the truth under wraps. Let's not really worry about the truth. Let's, let's set the truth aside for now so we can kind of do what we want to do. The Bible says those people have suppressed the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Now watch this in verse 21 of Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened, and although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. 
I think that's kind of a commentary sometimes on the world that we live in because we think we can just set this truth aside and we think that there is no right or wrong and we want to live our lives as if that's the case, but that's not the teaching of the Word of God. That's not what John says to us. John says when you're under attack and there are people that oppose you and there are people that try to destroy you, you need to cling to the truth of the Word of God. You need to hold to the truth of the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to hold to the truth of who Jesus Christ is in your life. And then look what John does in verse 22 of 1 John chapter 2. Who is the liar, he says. It's whoever that denies Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. John says we can have ultimate victory because Jesus is the Christ. Because Jesus is the Messiah. Because Jesus came to the earth and died on the cross for our sins Because of all that Jesus Christ has given us, through him we have forgiveness. And because of who Jesus is...